So, Jamie. Yes, Matt? Have you noticed that astrophysicists are a bit like buses? Go on. Well, I've waited for one, and then suddenly two came along all at once. Wait a minute. We've got another interview with an astrophysicist. That's exactly what I'm telling you, Jamie. Jeez, Louise. The Interplanetary Podcast. The exploration of space for the benefit of all mankind. Your hosts, here in London, Matthew Russell and Jamie Franklin. The Interplanetary Podcast. Putting the rock back in rocket. I left it in last week. Oh, crap. Matt, which rocket did you think that was? I think that was probably an impression of the Soyuz, the uh, Europeanized Soyuz. No, I was, I'm sorry, Matt, you're wrong. I was, everyone listening will know that that was the Falcon Heavy. Oh, okay. We even mentioned the Falcon <laughs> Heavy, don't we, in this next bit? Oh, I'm so excited. We do. Now, um, uh, okay, so without further ado, let's listen to our interview with Harriet. Ah, oh, she's ace. Yeah, and she joined us last night in Jamie's kitchen. It was in the kitchen, yeah. It was our first guest in the kitchen. I like to call it the kitchen of destiny. <laughs> don't know why. It certainly got a lot of records and space books. I was just showing off. Good. Just showing off. I hired them in. Yeah. <laughs> So we just so we just go straight to that interview. Let's go straight in. So today, very exciting. We are joined by Harriet Brettel from the Planetary Society. I got that wrong last time, so I'm glad I got it right this time. Welcome. Thank you for having me. So if you could start by um, telling us your job title and what your role is. Yeah, absolutely. So I am the London Outreach Coordinator for the Planetary Society. So that involves um, trying to bring the Planetary Society to the UK, spread the word about all the exciting things that the organisation is doing and set up events to get people more involved in space exploration. Awesome. How did you get into space yourself? Um, That's a good question. It's something I've always been interested in. Um, So from a very young age, like my dad would take us out and do stargazing in the back garden. Um, Something I've always found fascinating, you know. Um, And then last year I was living in New York luckily enough, um, and thought, oh gosh, there's no way I'm going to be able to do any sort of space or stargazing Mm -hmm. in the middle of a giant city, right? Um, And I was completely wrong. There's so many different things going on there, right? The Columbia University does public stargazing events. There's loads of lectures. They have Neil deGrasse Tyson at the American Museum of Natural History Mm -hmm. and kind of just got thrown into it and got really involved in loads of different things, one of which was discovering the Planetary Society over there. So they also have a branch in New York. Got involved in a few events. Um, Wanted to keep it going when I moved back to London and realised that there wasn't a outpost yet in... London so I thought why don't I take it on and you're going to start that so we know yeah. you have some pretty famous uh, founders of the company can you tell us a bit about that absolutely so the Planetary Society was founded in the 1980s by Carl Sagan we are not worthy <laughs> no, all-time hero right yeah, yeah that's it yeah that's it. That's when it. I discovered Done. it on the internet I was like Carl, I don't know I was probably like googling Carl Sagan or something it was like yeah. This is really cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah so, we get a bit gashy when we talk Well, literally, Carl Sagan comes up every podcast. We, well, we can't help ourselves. It is hard not to, right? <laughs> so, um, yeah, so Carl Sagan, Bruce Murray, Lou, Fri- Lou Friedman are the kind of founding members of the Planetary Society. And the organis- organisation was set up by them to just demonstrate, simply by its in- existence, that people are really passionate about space exploration. Mm. And there's a real kind of drive from citizens kind of all around the world to to do something with it so it's been going ever since we have almost i think forty thousand members across the world 
we do a huge number of different really exciting projects and it's been great fun being involved. So, awesome. so how can people in London get involved with the Plant Tree Society? Well, there's a few ways. So yeah. first off, we Or just have, the UK, in fact. Well, yeah, absolutely. So I am the outreach coordinator specifically for London. There is also a coordinator in Birmingham as well, if people are slightly uh-huh. further um, up north. Um, but the things that we do in London, we have a Facebook page, so Planetary Society London, you can find us online. We also have a monthly newsletter, and the purpose of that is primarily just to bring together a list of all the space events that are going on in London. Because when you look, there's a huge amount going on from a number of different organisations, yeah. but you have to do a lot of searching to actually fit, find out where they are, what's going on. So what we wanted to do is bring them all together into one list. Yeah. So we send that out monthly. Um, and this year we're really excited to be organising some of our own events. So one of the cool things that's happening in London at the moment is that we have a small exhibition at the Science Museum uh, on the Light Sail project, which we can talk about later. So we're going to be organising a trip to the Science Museum Lates um, at the end of February, which should be a lot of fun. We've got someone from the Science Museum doing a talk about the Light Sail, um, go around some of the other exhibitions as well. That's exciting thing number one. Exciting thing number two is we're going to be um, at AstroFest, European AstroFest. So this is a conference that's coming up in a few weeks' time um, in South Kensington, I think it is. Um, So it is a conference exhibition all about space and astronomy. So there's going to be a huge number of really exciting talks and an exhibition hall, which is going to have lots of different tables and stands, and we will be one of them. I think I went there about five years ago. Oh, really? Yeah, Brian May was touting his um, 3D goggly things. Uh-huh. Sort of three, you know, he's massively into stereographic photography. Did not know that. Yeah, so he's done some really good ones. He's yeah. done he's done things like the pictures of comets. He actually occasionally turns them into stereographic pictures for his own because he's got his own sort of model of stereographic thing. Uh-huh. He's obsessed by it. He's always has been. So oh, he used okay. to do rock and roll pictures. Queen and space in Queen one place. place. Well, yeah, you yeah. must have been. Oh yeah, that's, that. that's it. Another <laughs> Sagan May. That's my. Yeah. <laughs> that's all, all that matters. So will the Planetary Society have a stand at the exposition? Yes, we will have our own table. So I will be there throughout the two days. Uh-huh. So. Um, if anyone's listening and is going to be attending, then please do come Drop say down. hello. Yeah, cool. So it should be good fun. And what can people expect from the stand? Are you going to have things to hand out? Are there going to be speakers or? Ah, uh, yes, we are going to have uh, goodie bags or goodie things. Yeah. To be giving out, so we've got some information about the light sale. We've got leaflets that telling people more about the Planetary Society because I think there's well, there's a huge number of organisations already doing fantastic things in the UK. But I think the Planetary Society over here is slightly less well-known. So I think that's one of the things I want to really want to do this year, is try and raise the profile and let people know what we're doing. Yeah. How do you think uh, space um, and astronomy is perceived on social media? I mean, obviously, there's a lot of things you can follow, but in the, in the, in the more kind of general media, do you think it's pushed out enough? I mean, we see some big gaps. Yeah, so I think it's an interesting one. I think that... Actually, over the last few years, there's been a real growth in the number of news articles you see about space stories, which is really exciting. I mean, you just have to go on the BBC, right? And they have articles about the Cassini mission, or they have articles about SpaceX's latest launch. And I think there's a lot more information that's much more readily available than it has been in the past. Yeah, that wouldn't have happened five years ago, would it? Right, absolutely, yeah. yeah. And I think social media is probably helping with that as well, Mm. right? Because... 
people can tailor yeah. their news to what they're interested in in yeah. a way that you couldn't really do in the past absolutely so. that's a good thing yeah and obviously tim peak now going back to the space station can only yes. be good as well because i mean we were talking about the press that he got it's yeah. just we haven't seen anything like that and actually getting school kids involved in in it is is so important well i always think it's a double-edged sword because that's one of the reasons why we're doing this podcast is, mm-hmm. the, is the fact that oh i remember looking when ExoMars first launched it made maybe one inch on page seven of, of some of the sort of national newspapers. You think, well, this is, you know, it's Britain's involvement in the Exo, in, in ExoMars was absolutely huge. And you mm-hmm. think, surely we're slightly prouder than this of, of that. But And you think, actually, that is probably where it sits at the moment. So I, I think that, that there's still definitely, the, the public's imagination still hasn't been quite captured by space. And I think they're much more into space science than they are in, into the cosmos people mm-hmm. are into and they love to hear stories of galaxies and, and how big they are and stuff like that but I think that whole you know knowing about Cassini and knowing about even I would imagine that the average person on the street may have heard of Hubble but definitely haven't heard of Chandra for example that we mm-hmm. covered last, last week right despite the fact that it's pretty amazing mm. Uh, with the planetary societies, is, is it becoming much more of a global thing? Because one thing this podcast does actually do, we, we get mm-hmm. when we look at the listeners, we get people in Egypt and Australia and absolutely everywhere. Uh-huh. So, so is the planetary society totally global now? Are they trying to get into ev- every country? Yeah, absolutely. So there are outreach coordinators from a huge number of different um, countries across yeah. the world. Um, I was just seeing on the Facebook page the other day there was a fantastic event hosted in Pakistan where the Planetary Society um, Outreach Coordinator there had hosted an event. Mm. Um, Obviously there's a lot going on in the US but also Canada, Australia. It really is kind of growing throughout the world. Are you going to try China? Give it a go. Why (laughs) not? (laughs) We actually got one listener from North Korea so we were were wondering who that might be. How how they've done it. Yeah, exactly. It's pretty crazy. But the... um, I mean, presumably India must be a really interesting place to start because they're obviously... They've got a pretty exciting space programme themselves at the moment. Right, yeah. So presumably that, that would be an area... And it's like almost a third of the world's population. <laughs> it's quite a population to get excited about. Tell us some of the sort of things that um, that the Planetary Society are sort of most famous for, some of their projects. Yeah, sure. So the Planetary Society does a number of different things, which can kind of be broken down into three groups, I guess. Mm-hmm. So there's creating new projects or new initiatives. So... The Planetary Society is completely um, funded by the support of its own members. So it is a non-profit, non-governmental supported organisation and it funds projects that are looking at exoplanets, for example, so planets around other stars. So they will fund research going on to look at exoplanets and understand more about them. It's one of my pet favourite topics in astronomy. I mean, it's hard not to like, isn't it? Um, So that's really cool. Uh, They also are providing funding for projects related to planetary defence, so looking at near-Earth objects and how we can defend against them. So so presumably you've got a lot of events coming up for Asteroid Day. Yes, absolutely. So that's happening towards the end of June, Mm, I believe. I believe, yeah, because we've got someone from uh, Asteroid Day Oh, fantastic. Yeah. No, that'd be great. So, um, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that's one of those things where you don't think that you're going to have to plan for it, right? Yeah. But 
it's kind of important to, to think about, right? I know, absolutely. Whether the person that's coming on, their job is to uh, is, is to organise uh, what happens in the event of an asteroid strike, I believe. So that's all part of the emergency committee that, mm. that, that has to deal with the aftermath. And of course, they have, you have wow. to think about it. You can't just sort of go, yeah, it's nothing about me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's an interesting one because, yeah, the British Interplanetary Society, they, they always have a, a talk. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think last year's was, uh, don't worry, we're all going to die or something. Was... <laughs> well, I mean, you, you could say that at any point in history, right? But now, potentially, we're getting to the point where the science is at a stage where maybe we could do something about it, yeah. right? And mm-hmm. so, if you've got the capacity to to deflect, yeah. destroy, I have, don't know what the, the current have, yeah, technologies the, are. Yeah, if we can yeah. do it, then we should definitely In fact, the point, have the Planetary right? Society got any projects that are about planetary defence? So I know that they're definitely funding projects that are looking into it. Yeah. I don't know if they've solved the problem yet. That's probably yeah. maybe a little bit further out. Yeah, so it's because it's so hard, isn't it? These things are massive and quite weighty, and don't, don't really want to <laughs> yeah. be pushed off in another direction. You yeah. can't just get a giant baseball bat, can you? Yeah, and, and what, what's the incredible thing? I mean, that, that I thought one of the best things about that Russian one that happened a few years ago that was captured on everyone's dash cams. Mm-hmm. What was brilliant about that one was that we were talking about another asteroid about the same day that was travelling in between the Earth and the Moon. And oh, everyone yeah. was looking one way, and in the meantime, this other, this other, other yeah. this other yeah, asteroid comes in from a completely different right. direction that no one even saw because it's coming because half of them you can't really see. And that one wasn't even that big, you know. Yeah. If you think oh, about yeah. in the grand scheme yeah. of things, imagine, yeah. imagine how what we'd do if there was a, a truly one. giant one. Yeah, yeah and, if, and if it's over a populated area as well, right? Because I mean, they, yeah, that you do occasionally get the odd strike over. Over the sea, which is the most likely one, uh-huh. that gets picked up by satellites, and it's that everyone sort of goes, "Ooh, that, that yeah. was probably quite lucky." That one didn't thing I know, London. one thing I know, I'd do, Matt, is check out the value of the metal on board. That's As we discussed uh, about mining yeah. asteroids, yeah. Matt gave a, a ridiculous <laughs> stat of what was oh, the what was the figure of one of the asteroids? They're quintillions, aren't they? Quintillion dollars, and yeah, so they were saying that yeah, it yeah. might cost half a billion dollars to go up there and mine this asteroid. Right. But you would, if you took the metal down and was able, were able to sell it, that it would be yeah a quadrillion dollars. So uh, definitely worth doing. That is interesting. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah when we, we had another we had another guy on the podcast talking about going out to mine asteroids and, mm-hmm. and the reason why people are kind of still umming and ahhing about it and people are talking about mining asteroids right mm-hmm. now it's yeah. kind of becoming more and more of a thing right. of is it going to be worthwhile is a change of space law and, and saying well if you go out to an asteroid then you can claim ownership otherwise it's like well you can't and it, we've actually just had the 50th anniversary haven't we of the International Space Treaty so. yeah we have and I think the US and is it Luxembourg of made some rulings on yeah. how you treat that's quite know, recent as well yeah, planetary that, mm-hmm. resources or yeah, whatever yeah. the term is yeah so. that's right yeah that was quite that was around about the time we were talking about that guy yeah, yeah. John Amabar so one thing I know we're desperate to know is about the light sail so oh, could yes. you give us some details yes so this is one of the projects that um, is particularly exciting this year for a number of reasons so first off is the Lightsail is a citizen-funded project which is organised by the Planetary Society, which is sending a small spacecraft into space, as you would expect, um, that is going to be carrying large reflective sails that are going to be powered by the sun's energy. Right. So, essentially, it's kind of a proof of concept 
idea. The first prototype was launched in 2015. So that was just a launching it up into the Earth's atmosphere, checking that the sails could come out in the way that they'd expect them to, and then coming back down. Yeah. Um, but this year, we've got the actual kind of fully testing prototype and, it, and going it's on, up. And it's possibly on the most exciting launch of the year, isn't it? On, yes. On a Falcon Heavy. It is yes. on a Falcon Heavy. So, uh, <laughs> <Sick>. yes. <laughs> yeah, which we're, we're definitely looking forward to which that. Is, which is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, I can't remember the actual... I don't know if they've got a fully finalised date scheduled. I think it's sometime later in 2017. Well, I know, I know okay. they keep slipping back because Pad 39 isn't ready yet. Right. So... So they and, and it just I think they've just announced this week that Pad thirty nine they're gonna be launching an ISS mission ah, first, mm, where it okay. was a satellite mission, but that's dropped back a bit, so they're doing that. So it'd be interesting, yeah. I'd imagine actually once they start getting back in the swing of things, we'll get a date. I yes. Think. Keep our fingers crossed. Yeah, that'd be I amazing. Think that's yeah. the main one. So that makes it doubly exciting now. Yes. So we've got light sail and on at the same time double whammy. Right. Yeah, double yeah whammy. exactly. So I mean it should be really exciting. So essentially light sail is just a cube sat, right? So you've got a little box size of a loaf of bread mm-hmm. and these giant tin foil. <laughs> they're not made of tin foil, but that's what they'll look like. They're quite right? thin though, aren't they? What's the statistic? Incredibly thin. thin. I have the statistic here for you. They are four point five microns thick. Wow. So that's the quarter of a th- the thickness of a like a Tesco's plastic bag. Yes, so that's, that's quite thin. Incredibly really thin. thin. Yeah. And they're going to be spreading out to 32 square metres. So it's pretty big for a little satellite. Yeah. Now, can you, can you just explain the principle of, of, of the way that photons hit the light sail and actually make it work? Because that's something I always get a little bit confused about. Right, yeah. So you can kind of think about it in the way that you have this giant uh, reflective surface, right? So when the photons hit the silver reflective surface they bounce off and although the photons don't have mass they have momentum so they transfer their momentum onto the tin tin foil yeah i need to stop calling it tin foil because it's not it's very <laughs> what actually is it made of it is made of um i don't know to be honest i wonder if it's made of the same stuff as as those the, those mirrors that we used to get in for pop stars that could be, that could be mirrors, the mylar yeah. that could be the cliffhanger for, for podcast mylar sales that's it, it you got it yeah. so yeah. It's, it's the same as we used to use for for Rihanna to dance in front of in the in the oh, rehearsal. Oh right, got yeah. it. Yeah, there you go. And now it's going into space. Yes, it's well, I, think, I think it's definitely worked the other way. I think I'm sure Milo went into space before. It we got... should get her to retweet about the light sail. Yeah. Should be well into it. And and, and you, you, I think it's the same film that you put on the front of your telescope so that you can look at the sun without burning out right. your eyes. Mm. Okay, so it's, it is go. definitely a space material, isn't it? Well, it's, yeah. It's so, um, yeah, so back to the science. Yeah, sorry. So yeah. essentially... What, <laughs> about two, four, too much, yeah. right? So essentially what happens is the, the, the light, the photons, hit the sail and they transfer their momentum into the light sail. So you can kind of think about it as, you know, like a sail, like a boat sail, mm. right? But instead mm. of having wind, you have photons kind of pushing it along. Mm. And that provides a constant um, acceleration yeah. that you get to the sail and then it just flies off or flies and what's the destination of the light sail that is going to go up this year so this is a prototype that is going to be doing a loop around the earth Mm -hmm. as far as i'm aware right so you will be able to see it from the ground Uh which is quite cool so the planetary society is going to be organizing viewing parties to be able to see it and yeah it's very will there be an app available like the iss butter for instance do you know i do not know that's a great idea i'd love that um, so you know when to look up 
Yeah. Right. Oh, it's a bit difficult in London, but uh, yeah, oh, there's yeah, an app you can. Do you know what? There's actually hundreds of them. Oh, really? But yeah, I used to have yeah. one on my phone. It actually started getting annoying because it used to tell me all the time. Like, oh, my goodness. Matt, it's like midday. Yeah. Like, well, I can't see I'm it going now. over India. <laughs> Help me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, that'd be really good. I mean, that, that's that's really exciting, the, yeah. you know, the, the light sail. But can you tell me the difference between, say, the light sail project mm-hmm. and something like Project Starshot? Right. They're definitely related, so the kind of technology and the principles that they're trying to use are the same, right? So the Planetary Society has funded this project, so it's completely citizen-funded, which is really exciting, right? Because we are in this age, I guess you could say, where we're seeing this transfer between relying on government agencies to fund all of our space missions Mm. and moving towards a time where you're getting much more private funding of these kind of initiatives, which I think is really exciting. Yeah, absolutely. and it is primarily just meant to be showing that this can work, right? And we can actually use this as a method of propulsion. Mm. It's got loads of advantages, right? Because the sun is going to keep burning, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. It's basically like an endless battery. Yeah. And because you have this constant acceleration, you can get up to really, really fast speeds. And it's that principle which Project Starshot is going to be looking at adapting and optimising and using that technology to potentially get us to some of our nearest neighbour stars. So they're not, as far as I'm aware, they're not literally related as in they're working together right now, but this could be a stepping stone before... It's an interesting point. With solar sails, are they really only for interplanetary, i.e. within the solar system travel? Or could they potentially, if you had a big enough solar, solar sail and started close enough to the sun, get you accelerated enough so that you could actually leave the solar system in a meaningful way. Yeah, potentially. So it really does come down to what what level of acceleration yeah. you can get out of it, right? And because it's constant, you get faster and faster and faster and faster, yeah. and you can get up to very high speeds. From what I understand, the light sail that the Planetary Society is setting up is using the sun, but you could use an artificial light source, right? Yeah. So I think Project Starshot is also looking at the possibility of using a laser yeah, so charging yeah. it themselves yeah big massive ground based or, or even or even space. Yeah, space yeah absolutely and if you can do that then you can control the power that you're getting as the machine gets further and further away it's so much more potentially in the future we could be looking at proxima b maybe <laughs> keep them across. Crossed. i don't want to look too yeah. far ahead but yeah, I, well, I, well I, th- I have to say, I think that's the only reasonable technology that's on the horizon. Right. I think for I interstellar know. travel is the yeah is is the is the yeah photon driven right. And it, I mean, Proxima B's. I, I don't want to say it's close enough, but it's it's within a lifetime's yeah. distance, right? Everything yeah. else is just yeah. Well, that I yeah, think that's I, I think for last year that was definitely my most exciting. Yeah, that's the most exciting space story uh, of last year. I think we yeah. were, we were definitely. What about you, Harry? What from 2016? What was your one of your favourite stories? <laughs> oh in space? gosh, I mean, there were so many. There really were. There were it was such they? an yeah. exciting yeah, yeah. year. So you have gravitational waves. Yeah, there, there we are. There's number two, gotta be, um, if not number one. Yeah, Proxima B. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's just huge. And I yeah. think the thing that makes that so exciting is a lot of people find stargazing just the wonder of it is incredible, right? And Discovering a planet four light years away from us, it it brings it back to reality in a way that you can't do with astronomy that much because you just think, oh, everything's so far away. I like the fact that you can get stats now where it says, you know, however many hundreds of thousands of people were Googling what 
uh, um, a habitable zone was. You know what I mean? <laughs> Suddenly it's like, it. what, what, what you mean life could potentially be okay there? Potentially. Yeah. You know? Well, it's I, a big if. But... Do you know what? I think a really interesting thing is just our recent exploration of the solar system, like going past Pluto and mm-hmm. discovering that actually there might be water on Pluto and Sharon. And actually mm. thinking, actually may, may even need to rethink what a habitable zone is because maybe places like Europa and Enceladus might be just as habitable, if not more habitable, than Mars. And so therefore, mm. what is the habitable zone? Well, yeah, so the working definition in astronomy of the habitable zone, and this is like a good refresher <laughs> on my exam study. Yeah, there we go, excellent. It, essentially, it's just the band, the radius around the orbit of the star that you need to be in such that liquid water can survive on the surface of a planet. Yeah, right. And if you calculate the habitable zone for the sun, the Earth is actually a little bit further out because we have an atmosphere that keeps us warm, yeah. right? Mm. So if we don't have our atmosphere, theoretically, the surface temperature of the Earth would be negative... I'm going to get it wrong, but negative something, right? Yeah. So it would be below freezing, but we have this atmosphere, right? Mm. So that's one thing that we need to take into account yeah. because other planets may have atmospheres as well. Mm. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing is moons, yeah. right? The so moons is a big one, yeah. You might have moons around Jupiter, say. They're so far out of the theoretical habitable zone, yeah. but they have uh, tidal heating, yeah. they may have just general heat coming from their planet, yeah. they may be, have their own atmospheres that keeps them warm. There's... It's a lot more complicated than just yeah, thinking other, how far out elements. you need to be. So. Yeah, I mean, Europa really is one of the most exciting to actually sort of go, well, it's almost definitely got a liquid ocean underneath the, un- underneath the ice. It's, just, it's, yeah. it's an incredibly... Yeah. That, that will be an exciting space mission when they, when they pop off to Europa. I really hope to drill down and, and drill down, yeah, if, if they can drill down. Yeah. Maybe with the uh, Planetary Society drill. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Another project. You're selling them all so well. well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> In terms of the Planetary Society, what other events other than AstroFest and things have you got coming up in the near future? Yeah, so one of the events that I'm really excited about that we're organising this year is a Space Up in London. So we are planning to organise this event on Saturday, the 10th of June going to be hosted at Queen Mary, University of London, so Mile End Campus, go out east, very adventurous. <laughs> <laughs> but essentially this is going to be a Space Up event. So Space Ups have been held all over the world. It's kind of like a concept idea of how to bring people together to talk about space. There was one that was held at King's College London last year, so it's not new to the city, but it's the first time that we've been hosting one with the Planetary Society. So we're really excited about it. Um, The plan is that we're going to have a few keynote speakers, but the majority of the day is spent talking about things that participants are interested in, right? So the discussion topics are driven by the people who are there on the day. So we'll have boards up where people can write down what topics they're interested in talking about and then have breakout sessions where people can present on things that they think are cool or just raise topics or ideas and things that they want to discuss. So it really is driven by what people are interested in on the yeah, day. That's great. It's really interactive. And I think it's really Absolutely. important for people to ask questions about stuff they don't know or that they're interested in. Yeah, I, mean, I, I really like that, that kind of public engagement where uh-huh. people can kind of almost make their own agenda. Is, uh, do you have any other partners in that other than the Planetary Society? Or is, it, is it completely Planetary Society driven? So we are going to be working with PiStar, which is the Queen Mary Physics and Astronomy Society. Right. Um, and then looking for anyone else who is interested in helping us out with the organisation, because obviously it's going to be a 
big, exciting day. Mm-hmm. So I guess can use this as a shout out if, if anyone is interested in getting involved, then that would be fantastic. So, yes, listeners. <laughs> Absolutely, get involved. Please go to the website and please sign s- up to the newsletter. And if you're going to skate from North Korea, you can come out and help. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, that'd be good. Thank you very much for joining us. No, thank yes. you. It's actually, it, yeah. it's actually a pleasure. real pleasure to have someone young and really excited about space yes. on the show. Super uh, excited. Uh, yeah, super excited about space. <laughs> no offense to all our older interviewees. <laughs> A lot of the people involved in space, particularly in this country, are quite yeah. old now, and, it, right. and it'd be really, really good to have a whole new breed of, of space enthusiasts coming yeah. through. Well, no, definitely. I mean, you can kind of understand it in the sense that, um, well, I was talking to my parents the other day, and we were at the Science Museum geeking out yeah. over all the uh, cool yeah. stuff. Well, I need to go. I need to go and see yes. <laughs> Tim Peake's capsule, the definites. It's well, just the biggest. I mean, it's fantastic, yeah. right? Just seeing it there. And um, we were looking at this lump of moon rock, right? My dad was saying, like, oh, wasn't it fantastic when people were going to the moon? And no one's been to the moon in my yeah. lifetime. Can you yeah. imagine, like, as a kid watching yeah. them land on the moon in 1969? Yeah. How inspiring is that? Yeah. And yeah. Well, of course, Gene Cernan has died two weeks ago, and, and that he was the last man on the moon. Yeah. It's just, I like, know, incredible. It's scary, isn't it? Yeah. And you think there are loads of things to get really excited about yeah. these days because there's a huge amount going on. But Yeah. One of what I always think one of the sort of things that's really fascinating is actually Apollo mm. was so ahead of its time it kind of accidentally sort of ruined the ruined space really because it was like gave everyone this huge expectation because when two thousand and one Space Odyssey came out mm-hmm. it actually seemed realistic that's the yeah. weird thing is that people genuinely thought if by two thousand and one we, we we would have space stations and bases on the moon well yeah and if we would continued on that trajectory right yeah. we may may well have done yeah. but. Which is why a lot of people don't like the space shuttle. <laughs> but yeah. So yeah, and I think I think there's definitely a rekindled interest, in and and I think we do have to thank people like Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos, oh, yeah. and actually the Planetary Society, oh, yeah. uh, Bill, Bill Nye and Neil deGrasse Tyson, yeah. definitely have a massive part. Definitely, and and you think about what Tim Peake's doing yeah. in the UK at the yeah. moment; it's extraordinary. And yeah, absolutely. I think it really is kind of reinvigorating people's interest in it. Yeah, and it'd be great to see yeah when when we actually get the uh, timing of his second. Yeah, didn't they give like a five-year window or something? It was like very. Oh, it was like it was like oh maybe twenty twenty two or something. See, here's the thing with Tim Peake. He actually might be the first astronaut to go up on either a Boeing or a SpaceX. Yeah, that will be super exciting. That's cool. Rather than a Soyuz. Yeah. I'll, be so, I'll be so stressed. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, there's God. so much riding. You wouldn't want to be the first. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. I think someone's got to be, haven't they? Yeah. Well, that, I think be. they would. I think they would. I think that's the thing about astronauts. They're, they're super yeah. brave people, aren't they? It's like when I, we interviewed uh, Al Worden um, on Apollo 15. He went on, up on Apollo 15 and he said, I, I said to him, what, how nervous were you going up? And he was like, he was kind of like, so? He was, he was, like, he was like, well, you know, like, this, this is how we, we evolve. This right. is how we get into doing what we do by by things right? crash and people die, but you know what? They learn from it. And well, that I mean, that bunch yeah. they'd, they'd come from fi- being fighter pilots and test pilots, pretty which, brave which already. Essentially, <laughs> yeah. essentially, presumably, you must enjoy just sticking as, your just as dangerous, or otherwise, you'd just never do it, would you? So. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Yeah, thank thank you very much. Yes, very much. And I'll keep you posted on all the things that we have. um, have going on that was a that was such a, a, a really nice 
little chat with Harriet, and we're gonna and we're gonna get her on the show again soon to do. We absolutely uh, must. We're, we're, that was we're, ace. to do exoplanets. So we're gonna have a really good episode on exoplanets, hopefully in March. So I'm I'm, nice. I'm so I'm so excited about that. And actually, Let's get following up from that uh, little discussion last night, I have seen an article this morning. And you, oh, the yeah. question that I asked about uh, could you you know the difference between break, uh, star star shot breakthrough star shot and solar yeah. sail? Well, it turns out uh, that there's a new study that uh, kind of combines the two, and that in, in actual <laughs> well, it, it, it's. One of the problems about all these um, uh, laser-propelled and sun-propelled spacecraft is is, is, uh-huh. is breaking, and so um, a couple of people of uh, Heller and Hipkey have managed to come up with a scheme that sends a uh, a solar sail or a laser sail spacecraft to uh, uh, Proxima B, but does it? No. Yeah, literally, it's unbelievable f- flying around Centauri A and Centauri B to sort of use them as a gravity assist and a way of slowing down so that you end up in orbit around Proxima Centauri. And That's ridiculous. Yeah, I know, and, and actually, and then, to be honest, only Heller and Hipkey could have come up oh, with that. Exactly. You know, these, guys, these guys are the genius. And, and then they thought, well, hang a second, if you can do that, you can kind of do it in reverse because there must be the sort of energy equivalent. So they were sort of saying yeah. you could actually, instead of having the laser breakthrough star shot you could have it with a with a solar sail just like uh, the star sail from the planetary society the only problem being is it will it would take a few lifetimes but if you wanted to do it quickly you've still got to do it the laser method I'll, 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 i'm fine with a few lifetimes that's fine yeah well yeah particularly because yeah. I'm, I'm gonna get frozen next week well i mean i'm gonna come back as elon musk's assistant anyway so oh nice it's fine okay drink <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, without there's a few other bits of news that came out this week. What's been Uh, happening? The one exciting thing that got everyone in a in a tiz on uh, on Twitter was the new (laughs) was the new uh, Starliner spacesuits. So, Ah, did you see them? Sort of blue. They're blue. They're blue. And I was thinking, I wonder what other spacesuits have been blue. And they have had blue spacesuits before. There has been blue. I've seen yeah. them in the evolution of the suit. Yeah. I mean, you know, the stereotypical one is obviously white. But yeah. who's to say well, well, what well, it I can think be? these ones look that like the sort of silvery ones from the Gemini period in sort of shape. Nice. And they're, they're the best. Gemini spacesuits are the best. Agreed. What would you? What colour would you get if you could, Matt? I'd go for silver. Would you? Yeah, I want to be like John Glenn. Yeah, that is, that is pretty Shepard. cool. They're, they're the dudes, aren't they? I think I'd go for a turquoise. Mix it up a bit. You what, know? what about a Sokol spaceship? You know, the ones that the Russians space shoot suit. Matt, have, you been, have you been drinking again shoot. before the podcast? Space, no, I, I warned was, you about that. I was using the <laughs> Russian pronunciation. Oh, I see what you did. I see what you did. No, I'll take it all back. I'll tell you what else was exciting this week is that Sierra, Sierra Nevada's Dream Chaser. That, I know that's one of oh, your favourites. The yes, Dream you Chaser. You know, I love the Dream Chaser. <laughs> Dream it- Weaver. Uh, 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 that, <laughs> that, ar- that arrived at Armstrong for further testing. Looks Absolutely. So, does look cool. Mi- little mini space shuttle. Well, we'll have to check it out. Absolutely. And, and guess how many launches there are in the, next com- in the next coming week, Jamie? In the next week, I'm going to say five. Uh, you'd have been better off saying none. Oh. Yeah. Quiet week. Yeah, it looks like the first launch we can expect. Oh, what? This is a bit like astrophysicists. We get three on the same day. 
We get oh yes. We get Falcon Nine possibly on February the fourteenth, and Ariane Five on the fourteenth, and the good old Indians in action with a PSLV. Oh, I'm tempted to get PSL Four V tattooed on my forearm. I wonder if they'll sponsor me to do it. Well, I don't put the four. Just put PSLV because it's an L that I said, oh. not four. I'm so I'm yes. so glad that we worked that out before I went and got it. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Oh. Uh, uh, and uh, yeah, and uh, we've we've only had that Europeanized Soyuz that uh, our, our mate Jonathan talked about last week. Yeah. So yeah, and that was successful. So that's all. We're all we're all up and running. Well, I'm glad it's been a positive week. So uh, again, thanks very much for uh, listening to the Interplanetary Podcast. Thanks for listening, guys. As always, we're loving your comments. We're loving your questions. Uh, keep doing it. And as Matt always says, subscribe to us. Leave a comment. Check out the Planetary Society. Both, yeah, both Planetary Society both is Jamie a Jamie and I are members, although we are still waiting for our T-shirt, if you can hurry, hurry that up. Yeah, T-shirts, uh, uh, T-shirts on uh, the way, we are, we're are members. And of course, check out becoming a member of any of your space societies, especially the British Interplanetary Society, uh, to, you know, get your fix on space. But most importantly, listen to the Interplanetary Podcast. I do hear, of course, uh, that one of my favourite podcasts is the uh, uh, Planetary Radio, which is, which, yeah, which is also oh, yeah. very, very good. But I think we've got the edge still, Jamie. I think I think we're we're still still number definitely, one in a, in a re- <laughs> definitely got the edge. I mean, they can keep trying, but I mean, it's not really their fault. Well, in, in a re- in a recent survey, we did actually come top. Really? What? So yeah. Dare I ask who did this survey? Well, it, it was. Was it your parents? It, it was. It was actually me asking my kids. <laughs> But you know, uh-huh. but we don't. I, yeah. I'm going to edit that bit out so the readers just hear that it was a survey that you've got anti critics. Well, well, it, it, it's what's known as alternative facts. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, now that it's February, guys, um, you know the ja- the January blues are over. You can stop the hibernation and um, and get down and uh, get down and busy with some space. Okay. I, I don't know what that means, but no, I don't know what it means. I'm Jamie, I'm just you... going to put it out there. Do you fancy going to the Science Museum on Saturday? Can I say yes? Yes, let's say yes. And if any of our <laughs> interplanetary podcast people are in London, why don't you join us at the uh, at the Science Museum and check out Tim Peake's capsule and Harriet Brettel's um, lovely star sail? I'll tell you what, that's an ace idea. Leave a comment, let us know if you're going to be there, and uh, and then hopefully we'll hook up. Come and meet us. Come and meet the team. We'll sign your iTunes account. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Who wouldn't want that? I don't know. I've actually no idea who wouldn't want that. Guys, it's been a pleasure once again, uh, and we'll see you next week. Bye. 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 Bye.